right, everybody. Welcome to Ask Me Anything. I am Matt Love, and I am here with Pastor J.D. Greer. And we are starting a little bit of a series. So we've got a two-part episode to start. So we'll do part one this week. We'll do part two next week. But that's really kicking off a series that is about marriage and family and relationships. And I think this is going to be really good. Obviously, there's a lot of great questions in this in this kind of field that we can unpack. Pastor J.D. can uh, help us unpack. And so we're really excited to dive in. Um, we're going to start this series with a question about marriage. And so this is, again, two-part series. Um, and so, Pastor J.D., this two-part series is Four Myths of Marriage, all right? That's the, that's the series. So, Four Myths of Marriage, and it's two parts. What are the biggest obstacles that Christians face in marriage? Pastor J.D., what are the biggest obstacles that Christians face in marriage? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, first, let me set the context that Veronica and I both grew up in Christian homes with exemplary marriages modeled in front of us. And we were, I mean, taught the Bible when it came to um, how to think about romance and marriage. And so I'd say that we had a Christian approach, but there were some things that we assumed. Uh, I call them the myths um, of of Christian marriages that um, are just, they kind of come out of our culture. They come out of our own unbelieving hearts. Um, they're things that Veronica and I very personally um, struggle with in our marriage. And so, yeah, I'd like to be able to share what those are with you. Um, the first one is that um, the, the myth is, is at some point you think I married the wrong person. Now, now, let me just set the context for this. Um, our dating, mine and Veronica's, was fantastic. We, we we thought that we had found the perfect person. I mean, we were like, you know, and I, I know a lot of people are like this in their starry-eyed, infatuated phase, but we were like, we really were convinced, like, um, we got the same perspective on everything. We never fight. We never argue. Um, we're always up at the same times, you know, excited about stuff. Um, after we went through premarital counseling and we went through a lot of it, we joked, you know, um, after, um, we got through the conflict session, we're like, well, those principles are probably good for somebody, but you know, we don't really need them. Well, I can just say that after we got married, we more than made up for our harmony and dating. We made up for that with a vengeance. Our first, um, couple of years of marriage, I always tell people that, that she and I've been married for 20 wonderful years, um, and two other years for a grand total of 22 years, which is how long we've been, we've been married. Um, when something like that happens and this is what happens to us, um, and it gets bad, you start to deal with questions, uh, like, Hey, did I, maybe I misjudged this. Maybe we're not really right for each other. I know both Veronica and I both had times where we thought that, you know, I mean, some people I've had, they say, well, I've never asked that in my marriage. And that's, that's great. I mean, that's a gift of God to you, but I would say that most of us do at some point. Um, did I not get enough counsel? Maybe we, maybe we didn't date long enough. Maybe I had too low of a bar. And this not, these are not things that I thought necessarily, but I'm saying that these are what I've heard people say. Whatever it was, we, we weren't having fun. The truth is, and I love, I can't remember who said this first, but you always marry the wrong person. And that's because first you marry a sinner and a sinner will always disappoint you. Um, one of God's primary purposes in marriage is to teach you to love like he loves. And to love like he loves means that you love a person who is at times unworthy of your love. If that person doesn't disappoint you, then you probably ought to check and see if they really are a human because Jesus, I mean, their, their dysfunction was so bad that Jesus had to die for them. And if Jesus had to die for them, of course, that's going to cause you some irritation in marriage. Um, one of the other kind of uh, angles on this about marrying the wrong person, and I think it's Tim Keller that points this out, is that you're actually married. If, you, if you're married for 40 or 50 years, you're married to about five different people. Um, because they, you, you change every decade or so you become functionally a, a kind of new person. So even if you did marry the perfect person, 
they're going to change or you're going to change, and then you won't be married to uh, to them. Um, the root of this myth that I married the wrong person I actually thinks comes, um, it arises out of the weight that we put on marriage. We depend on romance for so much. Again, Tim and Kathy Keller call it um, uh, apocalyptic romance, where it's basically like, this is going to complete me. It's going to make all my dreams come true. I, I was sad and lonely before this, and now I'm going to be fulfilled and happy. Uh, sometimes we'll say that, um, that, that marriage, how it's seen in our culture and the movies and the music, it's like, you got a guy drowning in a sea of loneliness and despair. And along by floats a, you know, five foot three blonde headed life preserver. And he does what he, you know, would do with a life preserver. You, 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 you cling to it and you you suffocate it because you're depending on it to hold you um, afloat, and that's that's setting up marriage for um, for disappointment. Now, here's the thing: Veronica and I knew that, but we still approach marriage that way. Maybe you went into marriage thinking that this person would make you feel important and loved and worthwhile. Um, they would be the person you could always depend on. They, they would always understand you, always affirm you. The truth is that what you're looking for is not found in another human being. It's found in God. I mean, and romance is supposed to be an echo of that. But um, one of the things I've found is that lonely, insecure single people become lonely, insecure married people. There's not really even, you know, marriage problems. There are single people problems that get that get exacerbated in marriage. Uh, we realized that we were looking to one another for some things that could only really come from Jesus. Uh, sometimes we'll, we'll say little tongue in cheek, but if I could, when I do a wedding, um, I would take a Sharpie if they would let me and write on the top of each one's forehead, the front words will not support the weight of your soul. Uh, like, like one of those, uh, signs on a, an old bridge, like out in the country, it's warning you don't drive your tractor trailer across this cause it won't support, you know, that much weight. Um, this won't support the weight of your soul. Your soul was created for something um, more, uh, and that's the love of God. And so people they think they, they marry the wrong person because they're, they're, they married a sinner. They turn marriage into an idol and look for from it something that can only be found in God. Now, real quick, before I go on to this, the second myth, I mean, let me just give a few caveats. Do Veronica and I make each other happy? Well, yes, of course. Um, it's just that we don't depend on them for, I don't depend on her for that. My happiness and my completeness is found um, in the Lord Jesus and not in her. And it's like C.S. Lewis used to say, there's first things and second things. Make sure you put the first things first. That's God, because then God will give you joy in the second things. But if you put the second things first, not only will you lose contact with the first thing, God, you'll also eventually lose your ability to enjoy the second thing. Um, so yes, she makes me happy. It's just that it's not depend. My soul doesn't depend on her for meaning and identity and security. Um, those are things that I find in my relationship with God. Um, second caveat, good selection is important. I mean, don't hear this, you know, you always marry the wrong person and think, oh, well, let's just go ahead and get on with the sanctification process. Um, marriage is for companionship. I mean, God said it's not good that a man should be alone. And he created a, a companion that was supposed to correspond to us. And you ought to choose wisely because you were tying yourself emotionally. Uh, to somebody for the rest of your life. And sure, um, it's go every marriage is going to get difficult, but you don't have to, you know, if you choose wisely, it can be less difficult than if you choose poorly. I, I love what Socrates um, always said. He said, you know, by all means, marry, by all means, marry, um, because if you marry well, you'll be happy. And if you marry poorly, you'll become a philosopher. Well, I'd rather marry well and be happy than 
to be miserable and become a philosopher. So, you know, when you're, when you're making that choice, date, get a lot of counsel. Uh, one of the quickest ways to end up in disaster is to date somebody that the godly counselors in your life are, are very concerned about. Um, so yeah, choose wisely. Um, but with all that, just to, to bring this myth kind of to a head, lower your expectations because the root of a lot of this is we, we put such heavy weight on marriage and we depend on things for marriage that we should really only find in God. Um, here's the second myth um, that, that, that we believed as Christians going into marriage is we thought it's never going to get better. Like in some of our difficult times and seasons, we thought, man, it's just, it's going to be like this for the next 50 years. And I can't do that. The truth is that God is doing something in your marriage. He's working in you and he's working in them and you're both being sanctified. Now, I, I probably wouldn't have said this when I got married, but truth, I didn't really think that I needed to be sanctified. I would have given theological lip service to it. Oh, of course, but I, I didn't really believe it. Remember how I said earlier that you marry about five different people? As you go through these different stages, things just don't always go smoothly, but you're changing. And what's one of the reasons 1 Corinthians says that love always hopes. It always realizes that, that God is doing something good in my wife and, and he is changing her. And yeah, it might be difficult now. And some of that difficulty might come from me. It might come from her, but he's doing something good in, in, in both of us. So when I live with that hope that God is changing her, I can realize that in this, in this present moment where marriage feels somewhat like a crucible. And I'll just say that I know Veronica's felt like that with me sometimes that God is using that to work good in me. I, I rarely learn the greatest things about God. I rarely learn them in times of, of prosperity and happiness. I usually learn them in times of difficulty and pain. And so even if, if your spouse is doing something that is just very grievous to you and they're in error, I mean, it's Genesis 50, 20, that even what they mean for evil, God can use for good. Um, Psalm 84, 11 is always true in my life, which is no good thing will he withhold from those whose heart is steadfast toward him. And that means if I'm saying God changed my spouse and he's not doing it yet, it means it would not be good for me for him to change her because it would take away the good that he's trying to do in me through the way that she is mistreating me. And, and so you can believe that, that, that Psalm 84, 11, that, that God is not withholding good from you and he's giving you what ultimately will lead to the best things for you, which, which certainly includes your sanctification. Um, so by all means, pray and ask God to, to change them, change you, but, but also realize that God is always up to something good. I, I do feel the, the need to caveat here and say, I'm not talking if you're in a, in, in a truly abusive situation that you just need to stay and you know, rejoice in it. No, I mean, if we're talking significant emotional abuse, physical abuse, you know, various different things, you, you need to get outside help. You need to get out of the situation and make yourself safe. Um, but I'm just talking about in the, in the normal strain and difficulty of relationships. Um, I realize that in that difficulty, God is doing something good and it's not always going to be like this. God's going to change me and it's going to change her. And, and, um, he's always at work and he never stops working. So those would be the two, the first two of the myths. I got two more, but looking at our time here, um, let me just, I'll put a little wrap in it here and we'll, we'll pick these next ones up the next time. Well, thanks pastor JD. Uh, really appreciate you unpacking that question. Um, and again, that's just part one. So we'll come back with part two here next week. If you want any more resources, and Pastor JD has a ton of resources on marriage and, and relationships and all sorts of things. If you want more resources from Pastor JD's sermons, podcasts, blogs, whatever, if he's resourced it, it exists on his website, jdgreer.com. 
Um, and you can find all of that right there. And we will see you next week for part two of this Obstacles to Marriage series on Ask Me Anything. Oh,